When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday morning, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price. It is presented, as always, by our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 865-524-5888. Uh, those summer storms can get you in a bind if you need any type of uh, home improvements, a siding, roofing, you know, whatever the case may be, give them a call. Exterior Home Solutions, 865-524-5888, or visit them online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. Got a whole lot to get into here today. Going to talk a little recruiting. A massive recruiting weekend is coming up uh, here on Memorial Day. Just going to talk a little running back, the run game, and Josh Heupel's offense, and when the last time Tennessee had an exceptional one, and then, of course, Tennessee baseball. Uh, in Hoover, Alabama this week, getting off or getting play started uh, here on a Tuesday against Texas A&M. And then from there, uh, we will have to see. But uh, to start things off, let's talk a little recruiting Austin Price. The Memorial Day event is kind of what we're talking about. Uh, big weekend shaping up for Tennessee as we look back last year. Maybe no commitments that day, but it really planted the seed for a lot that came in later in June and July. Yeah, and I think that's what you're going for here. I'm not going to say that, you know, you know, one or two guys don't get the feels over the weekend. But what I'm saying is, is, you know, you, you establish yourself. I think you're kind of already established, but you kind of reestablish yourself heading into official visits. And so for Jaden Riddell, he just was in Athens. Obviously, he likes Rayola. Need to have a big weekend here. You're going to have several guys around him. That's a big deal. You look at the list. I mean, you know, you got Caleb Beasley. He's the vault commit. Chase Tyler's one I think you watch. I think Tennessee's going to start to push hard there. Melo Jones, the Georgia commit, that's a bit of a, a long shot. Boo Carter will be in town. That's a big deal. You know, I look further on this. Having Carson Jenner in, having any of the committed guys in, I think helps just because they can kind of, you know, um, you know, push on those guys and kind of impress upon them how important it is to be a, a part of the class. Cam Fountain, that's one that Rodney likes a ton. Um, I think that's a big deal, you know, getting him up here this weekend. That one's going to be, a, you know, a, a big boy battle in, in that one. You know, you, you look, you know, elsewhere. I, I love Jaden Riddell, having him in town along with Jonathan Eccles. Those guys know about each other. So it's not like that, you know, this isn't 1997 or whatever, whatever hubs where Travis Henry, Travis Stevens, and Jamal Lewis didn't know each other, right, before they got here. Um, you know, this is a different deal. Having Merklinger here is big. Peyton Lewis, that's one to watch. Daniel Hill. He's this year's Noel Rogers. If he shows up, he's no longer this year's Noel Rogers for me. Um, Amari Jefferson, that's important to get him here. Again, I will continue to reiterate, Amari Jefferson is as important a recruit in this class as there is. Mike Matthews, that's great. Ron Wingo, that's great. But the kid's an hour and 20 minutes down the road. you got to figure out a way to get that one done. If you get that one done and you can put one of those other guys with him and then hold on to J.J. Harrell, that's a phenomenal haul. Uh, Ronan O'Connell, backhubs, and I think that's a, a big deal because – he was here back, you know, probably about six, eight weeks ago. To me, you got to reestablish 
kind of where you were, which was the team that, you know, had a lot of momentum with him um, when he was last visiting. Yeah, and I think, with you know, with the interesting thing with Ronan is, is just kind of who else is really in it and, and where, you know, what other schools are – is he truly – is he truly diving into? We got to get that picture changed. Poor Ronan. I'm sorry, dude. Man, that that's not even close to what you look like these days. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for that photo. I got to get that swapped out. That's totally on me. But you know, Austin, who else is really in it? Right? Are the big is the Big Ten going to come calling hard? A lot of people have said you know this is a Tennessee laydown when you look at some other schools there. But but I think the Big Ten, some of those Big Ten schools will be interesting to watch potentially with Ronan O'Connell. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, you know, I, I, again, I still lean Tennessee pretty heavily there. But, you know, I, he does have some ties up north. Um, does Notre Dame come calling? If they come calling, then I think that would be an eye-opener for him. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, the other one that I would, you know, if he makes it in, again, all these are, you know, subject to change. But if he makes it in as linebacker Tylen Singleton, I've continued to say for two months that Tennessee had a ton of momentum with Tylen Singleton. And you look at TCU, look at LSU. But that one right there is one that I think bears watching um, immensely because I think, you know, he and Edwin Spillman both going to be in here this weekend. And uh, I know what the RPM says, but that ain't accurate. So, um, you know, uh, Tylen Singleton, I, I think, is a, a vol lean at this point as we uh, head towards the end of May. But, again, doesn't matter. Vol lean, not vol lean. you got to figure out a way to get them in the boat. And, Rob, what a life we live when the Memorial Day weekend is arguably the biggest weekend in, in recruiting because of what it establishes from a foundation standpoint. It really is nuts, Brent, when you think about just the time, you know, the, the, the way, you know, everything gets – not just gets now, but is accelerated. And you're not just talking about you know, the 24s. I mean, there's going to be action on, you know, two, 2025 kids, you know, that weekend. I'm sure probably some select 20, 26 kids. It's – it's it's a brand new world, that's for sure. From from the time when Eric Kane was coming out as a hot shot recruit. <laughs> hey, hey, Austin. Kind of on that note, last year there wasn't many twenty fours. How many twenty fives and twenty sixes will be in town? I don't, I don't think any. Like I think this is just straight twenty fours. If there are, they're that the, you know they're not on the list that I got. Um, but either way, I mean it, it, it's a healthy list, healthy dose of uh, you know big time guys, and again. That list subject to change. Um, you know, I think there could be a one or two other big time guys like a Dylan Stewart make it to town. Again, that list is, you know, who I think could make it. There's a few that have indicated they might be here, but you know, it doesn't really <laughs> don't want to get the the hopes up of anybody. So you kinda, you know, we'll play a wait and see approach with some of those guys. But, you know, we'll see if a Dylan Stewart or somebody like that makes it to town. Um, this weekend, but either way, it's a it's a massive recruiting weekend. Rob's right about that, and just how much it, it's changed in the last three or four years, much less, you know, the last uh, you know fifteen or twenty. It's it's really night and day, and 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 Rob's right about you know it's a lot different than when you know what 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 did they call the Memorial Day event when you were coming out of Jeff County to go over to Carson Newman? What they call that the Mossy Creek Magic, or you know, you know what was that? I like the Mossy Creek magic. That, that, that That's that's a good way to phrase it. <laughs> hey, AP, let me ask you about two guys. I mean, I think I know where you are on Sammy Brown, right? We, we, we're, I mean, that's – I know he's going to visit and all those things, but but he certainly is – Tennessee is trailing pretty significantly there. Why does Daniel Calhoun keep coming back? What What's 
Because it feels like Tennessee's probably, what, third there at best? What What's the story with Daniel Calhoun? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tennessee's third at best. Um, you know, big, massive offensive lineman from down near Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I'm just not sure he fits what Tennessee does. Like, I'm just surprised. So big. I agree. I'm just surprised he keeps coming back is, is kind well, of what I was getting at. I mean, it seems interesting that, you know, that one – I mean, he was here for an unofficial visit, you know, back a couple of months, few months ago. It just seems kind of odd to me that he continues to return because it doesn't feel like that's Tennessee, but that's just me. I think he likes the recruiting process. Okay. And and I think, you know, it's not that like he's not one that's a glory hound, but I think he loves to go see people, visit people. I think he likes to take trips and, uh, you know, and I, and I think he likes Glenn Ellerby in Tennessee. Now, you know, is it enough to pass Georgia and Alabama? I would lean no, but uh, at the same time, I mean, he does keep showing up, and Tennessee's been to see him, and we'll kind of see where they go from there. But I, to me, like, if you were saying, you know, what kind of words he had on Tennessee's offensive line board, um, you know, I, I don't think he's the top target, um, you know, and I think that's Brandon Baker. But, again, getting a kid here from California is a tough, tall task either. All right, my last recruiting question, uh, Eric, then then uh, we'll, we'll roll on to the next topic or whatever. But my, my last one to you, Austin, is you mentioned Amari Jefferson, and I'm with you. I think Amari Jefferson is as big of a priority as anybody is in this class for Tennessee. Where is Tennessee with that one? What What is kind of who, – who are they fighting? What does that really look like, you think, at this point with Amari Jefferson? I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, it's really a three, three-headed three monster. It's Georgia, it's Alabama, and it's Tennessee. And, again, I would not consider those percentages to be correct. Um, you know, but, again, that's all based off of metric and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I personally think that this is, you know, a, a rather bit of a coin flip at this point. If you said kind of where's it at, I would say it's right around 33% for everybody. Um, you know, I think that, that this is something where, you know, Tennessee is – done a nice job of showing him how important he is to the class the last uh, month or two. And, you know, Kelsey Pope's done a nice job recruiting him. And we'll see kind of things where things fall. But if he makes it in town this weekend, that means he'll see Tennessee twice over the next 30 days, counting his official visit. And he's told me that, in a, you know, he hopes to do something in the month of July. So, you know, I, I like Tennessee's chances if he makes it in this weekend with, and having two visits in the next 30 days. And baseball's not a factor at all anymore? I mean, yes and no. I mean, he picked Tennessee, you know, baseball when he committed to him for a reason. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I think he sees football as his future. I don't, the baseball thing, I think, is, you know, a blip on the radar or something that, you know, all schools go say, yeah, you can play both, sure. You know, just like they always do with all these kids. Trayvon Flowers approach, right? That's right. Trayvon <laughs> uh, was a heck of an outfielder until he wasn't. I do have one more before we move on to another topic. Uh, late last week, Tennessee does uh, get a final commit and, and then a signing for the 2023 class, Emmanuel Okoye, which we've known is going to happen for a long time. Um, anything else on him? It feels like Alec Ablin was instrumental in getting him here to Tennessee, uh, tied in in his future, but a, a nice raw talent who could have a very high ceiling. Yeah, we'll see where he's – I mean, I, I, I lean to tight end. That's where he'll start. But I don't think that that's any, by any stretch of the imagination some lock that that's all he's going to play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, I don't think he's really ever played tight end. So, good-looking athlete, long, 
you know, what's he like blocking? What's he like running routes hubs? What's he like catching the ball? I mean, all things that you have to do to play tight end. Um, you know, so we'll see kind of where things go, but I, I would lean to him starting on the offensive side. Yes. Yeah, my, I mean, my question, Rob, is, I mean, wh- where is just where is he from a football IQ standpoint? He's only played, you know, one year, one year of football. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm just I label him as an athlete because I think I think this first year for him is truly a redshirt year, and 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 it's a redshirt year where you're trying to figure out where he fits you fits in for you best and what he can do because he's as unpolished of a high school guy coming in as Tennessee's had in a while. It doesn't mean he's a bad athlete at all. It's just, he's not, you know, he's not done seven on sevens. He's not done, uh, you know, he just, he doesn't have 10 years of football under his belt. Yeah. He just not played it since he was, you know, a little kid. I, I, I think it's tough on the football side of things. I mean, and, and, and it's still in the infancy when you talk about the international prospects compared to what it is, you know, in basketball, but the, it's you know it's not really equivalent because they don't even if even if it's not like soccer you know overseas I mean basketball is still a big deal I mean Europe has a big league it's you know Africa you know kids kids grow up playing playing that sport I and mean, it's just not the same in in football and I I know we have a limited sample size who just probably just here just Chris Iperogade but um, I mean I think you're going to see more and more of it but uh, of, of kids you know, that, that get identified early on and, and come up through these academies. But I just – what you're talking about, Hubbard, the football IQ, how natural the game is to him, I mean, that's that's a big hurdle. If he's playing this fall, Rob, then, you know, he's either uh, – his athleticism just is, is so off the charts that it just bypasses his inexperience and to do, do everything. Or Tennessee's had a ton of injuries at a particular position. Like, I mean, look, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anything, but I mean, he's playing football on a soccer field. There's no hash marks, there's no yard lines. There, there's, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, in terms of understanding the game and talking about, just getting on a board and talking the game of football. I mean, there's just a lot he's going to have to learn, regardless of whatever position he's playing, because. You know, there's things he just hasn't seen in football because he's not played that he's not played the game that way. Yeah, opinion. and who's he playing against there, right? I mean, like, right? What kind of what kind of players are playing for these schools? I mean, that's just something I don't think anybody can know. It'll be interesting to watch how he progresses. He'll be on campus um, here in just a couple of days, at the start of June for workouts, and ultimately try to figure out his role for 2023 and then beyond here for Tennessee. I want to shift gears. I want to talk about the Tennessee run game. Um, not that it's been bad under Josh Hopple. Quite the contrary. We've discussed how you know everybody thinks this is an air raid, throw it all over the place, which Tennessee does throw it around. Tennessee also runs the football. But Tennessee hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher in a bit. Anybody want to guess the last 1,000-yard rusher? It's not that hard, but. Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd, what year? 2015. Jalen Hurd, 2015. 1,288 yards, the last Tennessee running back that have, has surpassed the 1,000-yard uh, total. Tennessee's come close a couple of times. Um, you know, Josh Dobbs actually ran over th- for 1,000, but if you count in the sacks and all that, he was down. Of course, he's a quarterback. Um, Jabari Small came close in 2021. If he was healthy, maybe he gets it. Um, Jalen Wright and, and Jabari Small both have been over 500 yards in their, their first two seasons here. Will Tennessee get a 1,000-yard rusher this year? And does the two-man system Hypel uses kind of alleviates one of those guys from getting to that mark? 
I, I think it's the most overblown stat out there, a thousand yard rusher. Um, I, I think you got to look at what your total rushing yards are, uh, what's your average per carry, those types of things. Um, because I, I, I think in this day and age, if I'm a running back and, and, and you know, the, these guys are more polished than they've ever been, I, I'm not looking to go somewhere and get 30 carries a game. I don't want I don't want to be wore out when I come out of high school or when I come out of college. I, I, I'm fine with a platoon system and, and a couple of guys. So um, I, I don't know that they'll have one um, unless somebody just gets really hot or you have some injuries. I mean, you look at this running back room right now, they're deeper than they've been. So it probably makes less sense for them to have a thousand yard rusher this year than it would have been the last couple of years. But I look at what Josh Heupel's doing in the run game. And they're running it really, really well, whether it's with two people or three people or, or whatever the case may be. So um, I think that stat is going a little bit by the wayside in the college game because I don't think it's as big of a benchmark as it used to be because people just don't want to wear guys out. I think you're seeing that it's a, it's a trickle-up effect as well in the NFL. I mean, there, there are just a couple of guys who are dudes at the running back position who is you know RB1 in the National Football League. The rest – kind of go by committee or kind of have a two-headed monster or whatever the case may be. And uh, I think you're seeing that in both levels of football. Uh, Tennessee hadn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2015. Josh Heupel had a 1,000-yard rusher in 2018 at UCF, and then he had two different ones at Missouri while being the offensive coordinator uh, of the Tigers back in 2017 and 2016. I agree with you, though, Brent. I think it's one of the more overblown stats, but still – you know, for Tennessee to you know be successful, if you have a thousand yard rusher, Austin, I think that shows growth. I think that shows balance in this offense. And Tennessee does have the guys who are capable of doing it. But you know, Wright's going to play, Small's going to play, Sampson's going to play, and, and you know, not neither one of those three might play enough to get it or should get it. I see those pictures of Jalen Hurd, and I'm like, that kid in two and a half years. Now, granted, he had a trillion carries in yeah. two and a half years. He almost said this single season or the uh, the career rushing market Tennessee um you know and it just had this you know, weird exit um and then one played receiver at Baylor but uh no, I mean you're right I mean I, I don't think that I don't think Tennessee will have a thousand yard rusher this year not unless somebody has one of those massive games and then just you know a bunch of solid ones like you know what I mean like you get one of those like 225 yard performance all of a sudden it's like okay that puts me you know in in, in a really good spot the problem with you know the hypos offense scores so fast in those blowout games against lesser competition, unless you have a big run, it's hard to pile up a lot of stats to me if you're the if you're the main guy. So like let's say let's say Jalen Wright's the starter. Unless he has a big run, fifty or sixty yarder against, you know, the 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 kind of the three gimmies, to me it's hard to see, you know, him getting more than sixty or seventy yards for the game just because I think Tennessee the game will get out of hand and they'll just start platooning and you'll get Dylan Sampson some run, you'll get Cam Seldon some run and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I think if Jalen Wright runs between 800 and a thousand this year, I think that's a good solid year. Cause again, I think what Hub said is correct. And is, you're, you're going to have it balanced out that it just, I just don't think you're going to see that. Now the caveat of that is everybody stays healthy. Now let's say one of them goes down. Let's say Jabari small goes down. He's been an injury prone uh, with the shoulders and such let's say he goes down I think that's when it changes I think that the number of carries for you know Jalen Wright or something like that would go dramatically up 
Um, and so I think that's how you get to a thousand, but as long as everybody's healthy, I just don't see it. Not a whole lot of four minute offense in this, in this offensive scheme, Ron, (laughs) for Josh Heupel. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I agree with everything those guys said. I mean, it it looks to me like three guys are going to play. I mean, the way they finished last year, I mean, Dylan Sampson was as productive and dangerous as anybody. And I thought, I think we all were pretty high on Cam Selden coming out of spring. I mean, I just think, the number of capable bodies is is my biggest, you know, reason to point to why they wouldn't have a thousand yard rusher. Yeah, here, here's the other thing too. I mean, if if somebody's getting a thousand yards, okay, and they're and they're getting you know the lion's share of the carries, okay, they're they're getting the bulk of the carries, then then everybody's going to be asking, well, why aren't they playing? You know, where, where's Dylan Sampson or where, where's whoever the the, the, the odd guy <laughs> yeah. out is? And remember this too. This is this is Jerry Max challenge. Okay, because we talked about this, and well, Eric, you won't remember this, but but Rob and I will, and and AP will because he's got Morristown native in it. But but the you know in the day and age of the transfer portal, if that had existed thirty five years ago, thirty years ago, there's no way Little Man Stewart, Aaron Hayden, Charlie Garner, Moe Phillips were all splitting four four carry splitting carries among four of them. Somebody's leaving, right? I mean, you, you had you had those two backs and Little Man and, and Aaron Hayden. What they did as a freshman, and then, oh by the way, we're going to bring in the best JUCO back in the country to on you. You know, you can go to the house, you can go set out a year, or you can just lump it and and like it. And 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 they all stayed, which is an anomaly. And in this day and age, it's impossible to do. I, I think I think the the biggest challenge is to keep multiple guys happy. Um, and, and to do that, you better split the carries up. And that means you probably don't get a thousand yard rusher. Maybe I'm wrong in, in that, but that's the way I view it. Is you you want to make sure all those guys are happy and, and getting enough, uh, getting enough run to justify, you know, staying here and, and being a part of everything because there's so much talk of everybody leaving every year. Roster management's so hard. Well, I, I think that running back room. I think if Jalen Wright has a good solid year, I think he's gone. I think you know don't want to put the wear and tear on him. You know. If he has, let's say, 900 to 1,000 yards, I think he's gone. Um, you know, I, I, you know, what happens to Jabari Small? Like, technically, he can come back a year from now. But if if his role has diminished some, does he try to go play his eligibility out somewhere else? Let's say those two play the most. Where's Dylan Sampson at heading into next year? Is he willing to stick around? And, I mean, like, you're, you hit the nail on the head, Brent. Like, I mean, like, you have to balance and juggle these things. And, you know, I mean, I think what you're likely to see is, is, you know, one or two of your favorite players on Tennessee's football team probably will go to the portal after this year. One or two of your favorite baseball players may go to the portal after this year. Same thing with basketball. I think that's just that way across the board. I think the football team not really having any serious defections to this point speaks to Hype's culture and the fact that the kids enjoy their time at Tennessee. But at some point, look at Bear Alexander at Georgia. He won two national titles. He had a phenomenal national championship game. What did he want, though? I mean, I've got two rings. Let's go get paid. And so he went to USC, and he got paid. So, Where would you guys rank the Tennessee running back group amongst the other groups in the Southeastern Conference? I mean, it's got to be towards the top. It might not be the top. I mean, Georgia loses some but brings back a lot. Alabama has got a couple of guys. You've got Ole Miss, who has two pretty decent options. Arkansas comes to mind, but... You know, we continue to say, we continue to reiterate, this is the deepest Tennessee's running back room has been since Heupel's been here. You got three guys that can play right now. You got a freshman in Cam Selden that you, you would just want to see play. 
Um, Deshaun Bishop even added depth to spring with a, with a really nice spring. Where would you rank this group, Rob, amongst other SEC groups to your knowledge? And I don't expect you to be a you know a, a, an expert on Arkansas's running back room, but just kind of overall. I mean, I think it's going to be, and again, I'm not remotely an expert on Arkansas's running back room or, you know, any of those guys right now. But, uh, it, you know, I think Tennessee's, I would put it in the upper half of the SEC. I mean, I don't know that you have, I wouldn't say you have one of the, you know, top five or, you know, maybe even eight backs in, in the league. But, I, I mean, I think you've got four quality guys that we've seen, you know, really do some some things. And, you know, production-wise, I from what Jalen did last year, I think, you know, he's, he probably would be in the argument for me for one of the top 10 guys in the league. Um, you know, I, I like, I like this, this group probably better than most, but also if you look around, you know, the league, it, I, there's not a, you know, a, a Derrick Henry type. I mean, who's, who's probably the best guy coming back? The Jenkins kid at Ole Miss. Um, yeah. Or the uh, Sanders guy at Arkansas. Raheem Sanders at Arkansas. I mean, there's not a, you know, a, a Derrick Henry or, or Leonard Fournette type talent in this league. So I wouldn't have a problem saying, you know, Tennessee, because of the depth, you know, has, you know, one of the top three or four running back rooms in the league. But you know, they, they don't have that bell cow right now, or at least, you know, not someone who has established himself as that bell cow. Yeah, I don't think there's a star in the room, but I think top to bottom, it's a, it's a really deep room. And and though there might not be a thousand yard rusher, Austin, I think it's going to be solid that a lot of guys get over 500 yards, add to this offense, and kind of roll the way it has in 21 and 2022. It's good fodder for the for the summertime to talk about these running back rooms and kind of where they all are. Um, you know, I mentioned him last week. Jesse had his list. Tennessee was not in it. I think when you look at the totality of the room, Rob's right that puts them in the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not – there's not one guy that goes, yep, that's the guy Tennessee's definitely, you know, and it's the totality of the room. And the other thing I think you have to keep in mind is, is we, we can revisit this come next January and, and, you know, Tennessee may or may not be in the upper half depending on that offensive line, Brent. Like, you know, they still need guys to block, you know, and what's that left guard spot look like? What's the right tackle spot look like? How's John Campbell played? Um, has Cooper stayed healthy? Has Sprague stayed healthy? All those are factors um, to me that will determine whether this group is near the top or, or not. Well, and the other factor that you got to throw in there too is what were our defenses in terms of respecting the quarterback run versus a year ago with, with Hendon Hooker's ability to run the football? Yep. You know, do, do, do they run Joe the same way, Rob? Do they do they tweak it? Do they run it less? Do they put more burden on the tailback and a little less? on Hendon Hooker. Um, I, I think those are some interesting dynamics to go with the offensive line um, that, that make, you know, some of the, some of the run game stuff really interesting for this team and, and, and good, as Austin said, fodder for this off season. Yeah. I'll, I'll be really surprised if they use Joe anywhere near what they used him to that. I know all the, you, you can't, you have to take out what was, what was the design carry? What was a quarterback scramble, but Hendon had 104 carries last year and that's what missing, you know, two full games. I'll I'll be really surprised if Joe gets if he if he sniffs sniffs triple digits. There was only one game, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but there was only one game where I thought Hendon was like, and I think game the play calling as well kind of backs up this argument. I think there's only one game where Hendon was like, all right, I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to win this game, whether it be throw it, whether it be run it, whether it be whatever scramble, and that was Florida. 
I, I thought he ran the football really well against Florida. A couple of those were scrambles for sure, but a couple of those were designed. But more or less, a lot of his rushes were just escapability, extending plays, and trying to make something happen. Yeah, I mean, I think they tried to be careful with him and not beat him yeah. up. Uh, they were much better about that this past year than they were the previous year when I thought they ran him a lot in, in games. <laughs> At where, Missouri? Up yeah, 40 points? Where, what? Yeah, were the games un, in control. But, uh, you know, I think they were careful not to try to get him too beat up because he was so beat up with everything he had going on the, the previous year. But but when it, it I mean when it was critical time, I mean they were running him right. I mean that, that, I mean the the play he got hurt on was a designed run because no. they were trying to win the football game at South Carolina. So maybe the plan going in wasn't necessarily to run him a lot, but as the game dictated itself, if you needed him, then they ramped it up. I mean he ran it he ran it a decent amount against Alabama too, and so in the big games when you had to have that play, they weren't afraid to go there. They just weren't going to get him beat up, you know, in, in games where they were in control, um, you know, which was a smart move on their part. Yeah. What did they do this year? Did they do that this year too, Hubbard? Just because, I mean, they're not real deep at the quarterback spot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think they can do – they will do that some. I think the question is how how effective is Joe as a runner compared to, to Hendon as a runner? You know, I think that remains to be seen. Now, we saw the Clemson game. They ran the single wing look with him, you know, kind of those sweeps on, on the end. And, and there was some effectiveness there. But I don't know, does Joe have the wiggle to run the quarterback draw uh, as effectively as, as Hendon Hooker did? And if not, what's your counter to that? Is that is that more balls out of the flat, out in the flat to the running back to get them in space? Is that more jet sweeps with, you know, the squirrel whites of the world or, or Cam Seldon, what do you do? I mean, just – I think that, you know, Josh Heupel always talks about we can run this offense in a, in, a, in a million different ways, right? Doesn't matter what the quarterback looks like. Big, tall, big arm, not a big arm, run, not run, all those things. How does this offense evolve and look different this year than last year based on the quarterback's legs, okay? We know, we know the receivers are going to be there. We know they're going to throw it. But how do they tweak things with the, with the legs? They play it the same way that they did with Hooker, or is there some different stuff in there with, with Joe Milton, which could affect a bit of the run game numbers as well? You know, maybe if you're running less quarterback draws, it's more carries to the tailback. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm with I'm with Rob. I don't think you're going to see 100 plus carries out of Joe Milton this year. And I think that's something that will continue to evolve as the season goes on, one way or the other. Uh, Tennessee. Should be one of the better running teams in the Southeastern Conference this year. We'll see if it pans out that way. A big recruiting weekend coming up in Tennessee baseball in action at the SEC Tournament at Hoover, Alabama. We'll touch base on that here in a moment. But first, a word from our proud sponsors, Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof, it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As always, thanks to our good friends at Exterior Home Solutions. Be sure and check them out online. Uh, for all of your needs, and uh, again, we thank them for their support of the podcast. Tennessee baseball team is in Hoover, Alabama, as they get ready to take on Texas A&M to open SEC play, single elimination to get started here. Tennessee gets the series win, Eric, at South Carolina. The takeaway is that they they pitched the ball very well with the exception of, of Chase Burns. The question I have as they get things started now is how does Tony Vitello manage his pitching staff early in this tournament if they can survive in advance to get back to his starters what are we doing here yeah uh it's a a really good question the rain did not help tennessee out last weekend you were going to play thursday friday saturday he got pushed to friday supposed to be a doubleheader couldn't play doubleheader so doubleheader saturday that means andrew Lindsay's start was pushed today chase dolander's start was pushed today and in the grand scheme of things that's not that big of a deal right but when you're playing a tournament and you're starting on tuesday it's a very big deal. So that that's one big thing. Secondly, the, the starting pitching, as you mentioned, was elite this weekend. And because it was elite, Tennessee only needed four bullpen arms. Two of those guys they threw threw less than nine pitches. A.J. Russell had 18 pitches, and then Chase Burns, he had, I think, 26 pitches. So you're in really good shape in terms of not wasting your bullpen over the weekend because of that starting pitching. Heading into today, heading into Texas A&M, the second game of Tuesday's single elimination round, I think you're going to go with a veteran bullpen arm. Um, I, I, I would, um, I, I believe it's going to be Seth Halverson. You know, things can change, but I think Seth Halverson will probably get the nod to, to get things going. Will he go three, four, five innings? I don't know. We'll see. But he started games in this league, a former number one starter. Candon Sewell could be a, <clears throat> excuse me, could be an option to come in behind him. He could be an option to start Wednesday, but I do not believe Tennessee will throw their starters, Lindsey, Dolander, Beam, on anything less than five days of rest. I don't think that's going to be the case. So, if you win today, looks like you're going to have to piece it together again tomorrow before you can hand the ball to Andrew Lindsey potentially on Thursday, Dolander on Friday. So, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Of course, all that can change. It's tournament time. A lot of times you do what you need to do, but... That's kind of what I think. I think Seth Halverson is likely to get the ball to start today. And, of course, you'll have Sewell, Burns, Russell, a lot of guys that can come to his aid. Well, and they certainly need a good starting performance. I mean, you, you need to got to go deep because you don't want to burn all those arms on day one. Uh, I mean, you do whatever you can to win the game in advance. Don't get me wrong. But you would yeah. like to put yourself in a position that if you win the game on Wednesday, you've got some some viable options. Tennessee's depth at the, in the pitching staff has been talked about all season long, we're going to find out exactly what that looks like here over the course of the next couple of days. Jared Dickey gets back into the lineup. Um, how big of a deal w- was that just to get him some at-bats before you get into tournament play, Eric? It's big. Um, you know, thought he could play all day Saturday, but uh, they didn't want to risk it with a doubleheader and all that, even though he looked good in BP situations. Came on as a pinch hitter in game one started and played the field in game two which was huge we knew that we'd probably see him with a bat in his hands before we saw him with a glove uh, in the field but like you said just get him out there you know back in a game like situation you know multiple at bats you know chasing fly balls in the outfield that that was really good to see 
Jared Dickey is the best hitter on this baseball team, without a doubt. Um, he's critical to be in that three-hole, driving in runs, setting up bases, all that type of stuff. And he had he looked good swinging the bat. He nearly you know he just missed a three-run home run on on Saturday. I think he had a hit. He got uh, you know robbed of a couple, but great to have him back. The All-Conference player for Tennessee, huge because I mean he is just that. He's been the most consistent and the best hitter Tennessee has had all year long when Moore would be up and he's down, Burke would be up when he's down, you know, Zane Denton would be up and he's down. Jared Dickey has been steady Eddie the whole year long. So getting him some action before potentially a gauntlet here this week. And of course, regionals in two weeks or week after next, um, it's huge for Tennessee. All right. So let me ask this one question. What do they need to do to host a region? How much do, how much success do they need in Hoover and two, and any of you guys can jump in here if you want to, what do you think this team's mentality is in terms of playing in an elimination-type game? Because, I mean, all year long it's been, well, win the series, try to get two or three, right, steal one here, do this, and it's okay, there's next weekend. It's kind of been the thought process by a lot of people, right? Don't panic. There, there's still a lot of baseball to play. Now you're in a point where if you don't take care of business this afternoon, there's no baseball left to play this week. How does this team – handle kind of that that mentality of that pressure you think um I'll answer the first uh, part right here then someone else can go but for Tennessee to host a regional and again a lot can happen last year Florida had 15 wins in conference and it went on a run to Sunday and it, and it ended up hosting a regional uh there, there was a team in the Southeastern Conference who had 18 wins who did not host a regional last year so you know how much importance is this committee placing on the SEC tournament you know, we'll have to find out. I think personally, if Tennessee wins two games, you're in the conversation right now entering the week. Uh, 16 wins, that's kind of the threshold, right? What do you do in Hoover? What does everybody else do? Because there's a couple of other teams like Auburn and, uh, you know, a couple of other ones who are South Carolina who are also jockeying to host a regional. How many will they take from the SEC to host? You know, we know that, you know, Vanderbilt, and uh, we know that Vanderbilt and Florida and a couple of those other top-tier, LSU, Arkansas, they're all going to be hosting a regional, so we'll have to see. Tennessee enters the week with a 16th highest RPI, which is really, really good. I think if you win Tuesday, and I think if you win Wednesday, you're without a doubt hosting, but uh, we will have to see. Right, what do you think about this team's mentality moving into a you know winning you, go, winning you stay, losing you go home mode? I think it's this team has evolved as the year's gone on. I don't think that earlier in the year, maybe midway through the year, that you know Tennessee was mature enough to kind of handle this. Um, I thought Tennessee showed some guts on Saturday, right? The way you lost game one when you know Dolander was just shoving, and then the wheels fell off. You lost by five runs, forty-five minutes. You had to flip the script, you out, and win twelve to one or whatever it was. I think that showed a lot. I think this team's grown up a lot. It's a perfect no. Um, there was only one rubber match all year long leading up to the, you know, heading into the weekend, right? It was at Georgia two weeks ago, and then you had one on Saturday, and, and you know, you, you won that one after losing the Georgia game. So not a whole lot of experience in, you know, quote-unquote winning the series on the final day, so it's kind of new territory. But I do think that the maturity level of this team has risen as the season's gone along. Um, you know, Christian Scott was always a leader, but he wasn't always playing right now. He's playing. Not only is he playing, it's one of your best players, especially in conference play. You know, Cannon Sewell's that guy. Jared Dickey's that guy. Um, I, I, you know, we'll see how they handle it, but I think that they are to answer your question. I think they're better now than they had been all year long to handle that type of situation. Win or go home. Oh, Christian Scott's a great story. 
He I is. Mean, I, I'll be the first to admit. He got put – like when they were struggling in early SEC play, it felt like every time he came to the plate, there was one or two runners on, and it was just like they're blowing this. Like, and he couldn't he, he couldn't deliver. He couldn't deliver. And he couldn't deliver. And I, I remember at one point, like he came to the plate, and I was like – I just said out loud, I said, well, this is the end of the inning. I said, you know, he just he, – he's not who you want to up. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, who Christian Scott came and read to her at the time of first grade <laughs> class a year ago. Okay, she thinks Christian Scott hung the moon, and she was so mad at me. I'm going to tell Christian Scott what you said, blah, 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 blah. And since then, I mean, he has went on this. I mean, like, I mean, I, I mean, the key rakes. I mean, like, he's a legit threat in the back of the lineup. And I mean, second like, highest batting average on the team in SEC. Play. Yeah. Let that resonate. And, and a lot of it's post like the first three series, which tells you how much he really has been hitting um, the last, the last, you know, um, you know, two thirds of the SEC season. I mean, he has really come on. And, and doing it with some pop. I mean, you know, what's he got? Seven home runs now for the year, Kane? No. I mean, you know, I mean, like, it's, he's just not somebody you think about that could be close to double-digit home runs. But yet, there he is. He, he's come up clutch multiple times. He tied the game for him in the first game of the doubleheader the other day, mm-hmm. um, you know, before, you know, they, they decided to pull Dolander and, and, and lose, you know, comfortably. But, I mean, he is a phenomenal story. Yeah, there's some good stories on this team. And, and I agree, these guys have gotten better. But, Rob, the, the reality is – you get in tight ball games late in, you know, in sixth, seventh, eighth inning. How does this team handle that situation? You know, that, their season's not over if they lose today. I mean, they're going to play, they're going to make a region. Now they won't be hosting, but it's not going to be over. But, but how does this team handle the pro, that, that kind of pressure? Or, or do we, as an outsider, am I overviewing? Or, or overanalyzing what that pressure is. It's just baseball at the end of the day. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I come at it a, a much the way you do. However, I mean, Eric is certainly you know covers it a lot closer than I do. But you know, I, I watch, I pay attention, I follow it, and just you know, and, and it's probably not fair to compare any anybody to last year's team. But it's just a, when you when you talk about those late inning high pressure situations, this group just feels a lot different. Not that they're not clutch or that they're not you know that they shrink from the moment, but last year's group just I mean, you just felt like it was gonna—they were gonna get it done, you know, no matter what, it, you know, no matter what the the odds were, you know, how how high the odds were stacked against them, you know, whether that needed to come from the bullpen or whether you needed to, you know, get two outs in the seventh inning. I mean, I I just felt like that team embraced that stuff, and and again, it's probably not fair because that 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 group was, you know, so historically good in those areas, but I, I think this team kind of suffers by comparison when you look at. What, what it was like last year in the spring for the for Tennessee fans. I'll close with this, guys. Um, y- you know, you never want to show up to the ballpark thinking you know everything about the game because the way baseball is, baby, it'll humble you in a hurry. Having said that, Tennessee has won, has figured out how to win games in just about every way this year, right? You know, coming from behind, blowing teams out, run rule, having a big lead, losing it, coming back. Um, all that type of stuff. And finally, you win a series on the road. So at this point in the season, it's like, all right, we've kind of proven, you know, for the most part, that that you can win in a number of different ways. So just go out there and play, right? Just go out there and play. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee looks like. Seventh seed later today. Well, it's the second game today against 10th seed at Texas A&M. Looking like approximately 1.30 Eastern time. You know how these tournaments are. It might be a few minutes behind. If you win... You will take on Arkansas, the second seed in the second game on Wednesday. Tomorrow, if you lose, you go home. 
You win two games in Hoover. I think personally, my opinion, you're hosting a regional. You win one game and then and then kind of falter out after that. Maybe you lose today. Maybe you're still in the conversation. But uh, there are some games, you know, riding on. There are some things riding on these games in Hoover, and we'll have to see exactly what those arms look like as the week goes on. Tournament baseball it should be exciting. You can follow along all week long over at VolQuest.com. Hey, appreciate you guys for tuning in to the VolQuest podcast for Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, Austin Price. I am Eric Kane. As always. Uh, subscribe to VolQuest on the YouTube channel. If you haven't joined our family over at VolQuest.com, uh, what are you waiting on? Best recruiting information, best coverage of Tennessee football, basketball, baseball that you're going to find. And, of course, always conversations happening on the General's Quarters. A big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. Give them a call today for a free estimate. Anything you need to improve your home Again, guys, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.